Welcome to the Palm Harvest Podcast. We are a community in Costa Mesa, California. To know more about us, visit our website, palmharvest.com. To follow along with today's message, download the Palm Harvest app and click on Sermon Notes. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Palm Harvest broadcast. I'm Mike Decker. I'm super glad that you are joining me today for our conversation. Uh, Wherever you might be, and particularly for those of you who might be tuning in from your home and you're comfortably sitting on your couch, I hope you have something, uh, your favorite beverage close by. Uh, In my case, I've got my uh, blueberry zip fizz today with a little coconut water in it. I think uh, this is Scotty D's favorite uh, flavor of Zip Fizz. And so, Scotty, if you happen to be tuning in and you've got your blueberry Zip Fizz, uh, cheers to you, brother. Listen, we're going to talk about something today that's way more important than the beverage that we love to drink. And that is, I want you to dialogue with me and really within yourself about the subject called prejudice. Prejudice. How do you define the word prejudice? You know, when a person practices prejudice towards someone or to something, what does that look like? This past week, I went on the internet and I went to Wikipedia to determine uh, sort of how they define uh, the word prejudice. And Wikipedia describes prejudice in the following ways. It says that it's a feeling that we might have towards another person. Uh, Prejudice is often a preconceived evaluation uh, toward another person based upon a number of things. And and I think you'll probably agree with me on this. We we make uh, decisions or we make assumptions about people based upon their political affiliation. Yes. Uh, based upon their gender, um, maybe even upon uh, based upon their social class that they might be a part of, their religion or beliefs. I think uh, we illustrate prejudice when we make a judgment against another person uh, or about another person based upon their age or their maybe their their hair color. We make uh, judgments about people based upon their disability, uh, uh, sexuality, maybe even their ethnicity or, you know, sort of their nationality. We make judgments about people based upon the occupation that they work at or the education that they have or, or don't have. We even make judgments or exercise prejudices against people based upon their criminality. Yes? Or even the sports team that they may cheer for, or maybe the hat collection that they might wear. Now, prejudice can be either positive or negative. So so hear me on that. Prejudice is not always bad. Prejudice can be favorable or unfavorable. It can be both. But here's the truth. Prejudice impacts us all. So here's the big idea of our conversation today. If you're taking notes on your Palm Harvest app, and I don't have it here in my pocket, but I trust that you do have it close by, write this down. And that is, prejudice pollutes. Prejudice 
pollutes. That's what we're going to talk about today. This past Wednesday morning, as my wife Robin and I walked out to our car, which was parked in the driveway, we were with my cousin Brian Clock, who happened to be in town, and he spent the night with us. And as the three of us were walking out to the car, we were on our way to go get some breakfast, Brian noticed that our car was covered with ash. And so he, he made this comment. He said, is that ash from all the fires? Now, here in Costa Mesa, California, we don't aren't experiencing any fires, but if you've been watching any of the national news, you likely know that all across the West Coast, there are fires springing up. And so as the wind blew south toward us, with it was carried all of this ash from, from these fires. Now, I use that experience this past Wednesday as a a suggestion, I think it serves as a good word picture for how prejudice works. Friends, I suggest to you that prejudice leaves a mark. Prejudice leaves a, a resonue. Pre prejudice, like wire, wildfires, pollutes. Now, over the last several weeks, if you've been tuning in to this broadcast, you know that we have been looking at the story of one guy in the Bible out of 2 Kings chapter 5 who had leprosy. Naaman, we're told, was this military commander. He served in the nation of Aram, also known as Syria. And as this military commander who had just tremendous success in a lot of what he did, the one thing that he was sort of ex continually experienced failure in was the ability to, to find a healing or a cure for his skin disease, for his leprosy. And so, you know the story, Naaman gets this intel about this prophet, this prophet of God who lives in the neighboring country, the, the nation of Israel, who might be able to help him. And so being a, guy, a man of resource, he, he organizes this, this road trip. He lead, loads up his caravan with, what, 70, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. And as you know the story, Naaman eventually finds himself uh, in the country of Israel on the doorstep of the prophet Elisha. As Elisha is uh, looking at a name and probably through the windows uh, of his house, he sends out this messenger with a, with a game plan, with assignment. Remember what he told him? He said, Naaman, go down to the River Jordan, baptize yourself, immerse yourself seven times, and if you do that, if you're willing to exercise really this step of faith, God will heal you. Well, Naaman does just that. Goes down to the Jordan River, dips himself seven times, and just as the prophet Elisha had promised, Naaman's skin was completely restored. Naaman was healed. Well, wanting to show his appreciation to Elisha, the Bible tells us how Naaman gathers his, his group of, of caravan and they head back, they trek back to Elisha's house. Now, the purpose, part of the purpose of Naaman's gold, silver, and sets of clothes was a gift. And so as he goes to Elisha and, and basically you know, parades this new healing of his skin, in, a, in an act of appreciation, Naaman tries to give the prophet these gifts, but Elisha says what? He says, no, uh, basically, this God's activity was a gift of grace. It was a gift of, of you know, of generosity. Naaman, I, I don't want your gifts. 
and the prophet then sends Elisha back, or rather Naaman back home. Well, today, I want you to look with me at the story, at what happens after Naaman has this, this second encounter with the prophet Elisha. And spoiler alert, it's not good. In the story that we are going to read, we are going to be introduced to prejudice. And I'd like, you to, I'd like you to try to identify really the four negative things that happen as a result of prejudice. And specifically, I want you to look for how our big idea is reinforced, and that is how prejudice pollutes like ash on our car this past week, prejudice leaves a mark. And so if you have a Bible, whether it's in written like this or digital form, or if you just want to listen, uh, picture the scene in your mind. I'm going to pick up reading at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 19, and then we'll unpack this story. Verse 19, this is what we read. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. Now here in this verse, these two verses, we see our first evidence of prejudice. Do you see it? Look at it. Verse 20. What's Gehazi say? He says, Gehazi says, my master should not have let who? This Aramean. He should have not have let, he should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. Point number one, write this down, and that is prejudice pollutes my perspective. Prejudice pollutes my perspective. Church, what do we know about the Arameans? You know, in past weeks, what have we learned about some of their Aramean practices? Well, we know that the, the nation of Aram was an enemy of, of the nation of Israel, was it not? We know that the nation of Aram, if you read back earlier in 2 Kings and even in the book of 1 Kings, you will read how the nation of Aram regularly would go into Israel and they would have these raiding parties. There was sort of this annual tradition, this annual practice for the armies of Aram to go into the country of, of Israel and raid them from anything that was good. They would take their you know, camels and their cattle and their sheep and their food and, and even their people. You know, early in our story in 2 Kings chapter 5, we can read how even in Naaman's own household, he had a slave girl who had been taken in one of these raids from the nation of Israel. So Arameans were an enemy of the state. Arameans by the Israelites were largely hated. And so when the prophet Elisha helps Naaman, the commander of this Aramean army, we see showcased here Elisha's goal. And that was what? Remember when he, when he reached out to the king of Israel to, to say, I'll help you? Elisha's goal was to expose Naaman to his almighty God creator. Now what I want you to notice is Elisha's focus wasn't on Naaman's sin. Elisha's didn't focus on Naaman's baggage. 
Rather, Elisha's focus was on the God that still loved Naaman and, and God's interest in Naaman's soul. That's where Elijah's perspective was. So after things, you know, turned out where Naaman gets this amazing kind of experience of healing from his leprosy, what does, what does Naaman declare? Do you remember? He says, from now on, I'm, I will only worship the one true God, right? Remember how he said that? He said, from going forward, I will only worship the God of Israel, the one true God. And what we see here in this story is that as a result of his healing experience, not only was Naaman's skin restored, but we also see how his heart was restored. But notice, notice here in our story that Gehazi, Elisha's servant, couldn't see the heart change of Naaman. Gehazi, we see here in this story, didn't see or couldn't see because of prejudice the new Naaman. Gehazi viewed Naaman through the lens of Naaman's historical activity. Now stay with me. Gehazi could not forget or forgive Naaman's past behavior. And what we see here is how Gehazi is prejudiced, and his prejudice pollutes his perspective. Church, I want to submit to you today that the same thing happens to you and me all the time. Our prejudice pollutes our perspective. But I got good news. With God's help, we can overcome that. Who do you have a prejudice attitude towards? Does anybody come to mind? I mean, I think it's one thing to have an opinion about something. And I suspect many of you have opinions about various things. I suspect many of you have opinions about the Republican Party or President Trump. Some of you have opinions about the Democrat Party and Nancy Pelosi. I suspect that some of you have opinions about the movement Black Lives Matter and about the defunding the police. I certainly do. And if you look at my hat collection, you can see that I love police. Costa Mesa police right there. One of my hats. I think I want to suggest to you today that it's one thing to have an opinion but when our opinion morphs into a prejudice against people who have a different opinion than my own, the Bible shows us here how my prejudice will pollute my perspective. Prejudice pollutes. Let's keep reading. Okay, we'll look at verse 20 again. So my master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after, after Naaman. Now write this down, point number two in your notes. Prejudice pollutes my judgment. Prejudice pollutes my judgment. As surely as the Lord lives, Gehazi says, I will chase after Naaman and get something from him. Friends, what kind of attitude is, is Gehazi displaying here? I want to propose to you that Gehazi is illustrating a I'm better than you attitude. I think we can see arrogance in, in Gehazi's attitude 
evidenced by his decision to chase after Naaman. You know, because of Gehazi's prejudice against the Aramean people, Gehazi basically determines that, that the Arameans should pay, right? That Naaman should pay for this miracle that he just received. Now, unlike Elisha the prophet, Gehazi wasn't focusing on God's generosity. Unlike the prophet Elisha, Gehazi wasn't focusing on God's grace and forgiveness. Rather, what where Gehazi's focus is, is he determines in his own mind that Naaman gets off way too easy, and because of prejudice, Gehazi makes the unwise decision to chase Naaman down. Prejudice pollutes Gehazi's judgment. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse 21. So Gehazi sets after, set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right? Naaman asks. Let me stop there for a second. Friends, this, this is amazing. You know, Naaman does a very noble thing when he stops his servant and steps down, lowers himself to have a conversation with Elisha's servant. You know, for a Syrian general to really show deference to a Jewish servant, I think illustrates, serves as another indication of how God has changed Naaman's heart. Let's keep reading. Is everything all right? Naaman asks. Verse 22. Yes, Gehazi said. But my master has sent me to tell you the two young prophets from the young country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, notice this, when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. Church, what does Gehazi's secrecy, right? What is his secret activity of hiding of these gifts that he has just received from Naaman and, and then sends the men away? What does that suggest? I propose that it suggests, does it not, that Gehazi understands that his request for payment is somehow wrong. Do you know what Gehazi's actions illustrate for you and me about prejudice? It illustrates point number three, how prejudice pollutes my character. Prejudice pollutes my character. Do you know what a good self-test is for evaluating your character? What are your habits when no one is looking? You know, how do you act when you are in the privacy of your home? Prejudice pollutes my character. And my character is what really shapes my actions. Gehazi's prejudice influences 
his decision to chase down Naaman and then lie. Gehazi lies not once, not twice, but three times, right? What were his lies? First, Gehazi tells Naaman in verse 22, he says that my master has sent me. Lie number one. My master has sent me and he would like 75 pounds, pounds of silver and two sets of clothing. Lie number two. Now, church, don't miss the gravity of, of this encounter. Do you know who Gehazi is? Gehazi is Elisha's protege. In the same way that Elisha was the protege of the prophet Elijah, I propose that Gehazi is now Elisha's protege. And Gehazi quite possibly could be the next great prophet for the nation of Israel, and he is groomed to be so. But his prejudice pollutes his character. And here in this story, we can see how Gehazi misrepresents not only Elisha, his, his mentor, but he also misrepresents God. Prejudice pollutes. So what's the third lie? You say, Micah, I thought you said that he lies third, three times. What's his third lie? Great question. Great question. I can't get anything by you guys. Let's keep reading, and then we'll close that off our story. Verse 25. Verse 25. So when he went to his master, so he's hidden all this, he's gotten the gifts, he's hidden all this stuff away, verse 25. So when he, he went into his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle and male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. And when Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. Now write this down, point number four. Prejudice pollutes me. You know, most of you know that in Israel, that lepers were considered unclean. And if you had really any kind of skin disease, but especially leprosy, you would be forbidden really to be in any kind of community and live what we would consider to be a, a normal life. You know, the consequence of, of prejudice in our story is that Gehazi not only can no longer be Elisha's servant, and not only does he lose his ministry, which is a, a tremendously huge deal, but in Gehazi's decision and judgment, he brings upon this incredible hardship upon his family tree, illustrating this big idea that prejudice pollutes. Now, friends, a question to consider is, was God too harsh in his judgment against Gehazi? You know, was God being unfair in his punishment? You know, because of prejudice, you know, not only did Gehazi get leprosy, but we're told that he and his descendants would forever be afflicted by this disease. It's hard to understand that sometimes, but here's the important part. Personalize the story. 
You know, have any of you ever observed maybe racism in your own life? You know, think about this truth. I have often observed how racism, and maybe you have too, racism, racism is often passed down from one generation to the next, from parent to child, from, from grandparent to grandchild. Have you ever observed that? And I have observed, and I wonder if you have, how prejudice will often stifle a person's growth. In fact, in, not only just in, in, in one's own life, but also in the life of those around you. Prejudice pollutes. I think prejudice pollutes my perspective. We're told here how prejudice pollutes our judgment. Prejudice pollutes my character. Prejudice pollutes me. And ultimately, prejudice even pollutes those around me. So church, hear me today. Where are you guilty of practicing prejudice? But more importantly, will you ask God today to forgive your critical heart? Ask him to forgive your, maybe your judgmental attitude and replace his, your judgmental attitude, your judgmental prejudice with love. Will you ask God to do that? So I just invite you right now to open the palms of your hand if you're in a place where you can do that. But whether you're driving or you're in your, at home in your, in your, on a couch, Open your heart, open your mind, and pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my prejudice. Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my prejudice. Now, as you think about this, I wonder if there's anybody in your life right now who you could identify as someone who you have a prejudice against. Maybe they, their personality rubs you the wrong way. Maybe they're involved in a cause that rankles you. If so, I invite you right now as an as a act of faith, based upon what we just read here today, that you ask God to remove your prejudice and in faith, ask God to replace in your heart that prejudice with a spirit of generosity, with a spirit of grace, and with a spirit of, of well-being. Why? Because as we've seen here today, friends, prejudice pollutes me. And not only does it pollute me, but it pollutes those around me. So again, hands open, heart open, mind open. Pray this prayer. God, Jesus, please protect me from prejudice. Jesus, please protect my son, my daughter, my spouse, my loved ones, from the pollution of prejudice. Now say this, Jesus, I invite you today to continue to shape my heart and my attitude because Jesus, in my own strength, I can't do it. And so Jesus today, as this broadcast comes to a close, once again, I ask you to change me. I invite you to change me because I want to live <laughs> a pollution-free life. I want to be someone who is free from prejudice. Yes? And everybody said, amen. Hey, listen, lastly, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in 
to this broadcast. You know, for those of you who have been able to support us financially over the last several months, I'm super grateful for all of that. You know, if you've yet to subscribe to sort of our monthly or even weekly giving, whether that be through our Palm Harvest app or through our webpage, palmharvest.com, or even, you know, through other means, just want to encourage you to perfectly consider doing so. This past week, uh, Beto uh, Godino, who's a part of our, in charge of all of our social media uh, broadcasts, and even this broadcast was sharing with me how uh, those of you tuning in on Anchor, uh, just listening to the podcast, perhaps even you know while you're driving even right now, is growing. Um, every week, it, it's growing. Our broadcast is growing. And so, uh, again, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, and uh, for those of you who have never seen my face, uh, you just need to know you're not missing much. I'm not that great. Great look, great looking. But <laughs> all that to say, I'm just really glad that that you've decided to join us. And if you're in a place where you can, uh, you know, contribute financially, love for you to do that. I know that you'll be blessed, maybe more than even than we will. But invite you to, to to pray about pray about that. And just understand, everybody, this applies to all of us. That our giving is impacting lives all across the globe, and that's something that we can celebrate. Yes, yes. So again, everybody, I hope you have a great week. May God bless you this week as you strive to push away prejudice. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Palm Harvest podcast. We would love to get to know you. So download the Palm Harvest app for free and fill out our connection card. Your continued support helps us spread hope around the world. You can also give in our app and find out more about our community.